everyone who has a dream of being a preacher would, in my mind, want to be Dylan Thomas. I'm testing this machine to see if it still works. I found on the ground and I'm wiping off the dirt. Hey, welcome to the Last Purse Podcast, where we discuss all things related to creativity. Why we have it, where it comes from, what it does for each and every one of us, no matter what we do for a living. My name is Thomas Ward. You can call me Tom. And in each episode, I'm going to be talking to an old friend about a recent burst of creativity they experienced. And then we'll also discuss some famous last bursts from history. And hopefully I'll make some new friends along the way. This week, I am so happy to be joined by my good friend, Mr. Paul Natali. So, Paul, what is, uh, tell me about something you've done recently or that sticks out in your mind that you've done that was creative and the, and you didn't do it to make money. (laughs) (laughs) First, I'm always flattered to think of me as a creative person. I, I think of it more as just, I have things I've got to do and I'll get, I'll get obsessed with an idea and carry it forward. The, my, like my COVID project is, I think, the work maybe that I'm proudest of and seems like healthiest. I, with COVID, we were all of a sudden inside. And um, one of my inside hobbies is I do origami. I've got, I've got origami hanging up in my room here. And I've done that since I was a kid. And my obsession with origami is in these pieces that I can interlock and put together to make larger shapes and I made a 20-sided star first when I was doing COVID and I say that like that was easy it took me like hundreds of hours because when I was figuring out how to put the shapes together and lock them in the right thing I would end up with drafts I guess that of stars that were misshapen that were also beautiful to me and that I kept for a long time. Um, but then I figured out, no, I wanted this particular like perfect shape. And that got me more obsessed with, with the architect, Buckminster Fuller. He wanted to do architecture that you could use as few materials as possible with the greatest strength. So he's, he made domes. He had all these like amazing plans to create inexpensive but beautiful and strong housing for people. I found these instructions on the internet that said these were written by Buckminster Fuller. I don't know why it wasn't in a book of his. And and they said it was to use bamboo to make a dome for shelter. Um, So I was like, well, and and it said no one's ever done this. As far as we know, no one's made a bamboo dome using these instructions. So I was like, I got to do that. And then that then took me into probably a thousand hours experimenting with how do I bind bamboo together. Um, I ended up making two bamboo domes because the one out in my front yard, I miscalculated. So it's like twice as big as I had intended, but I ended up liking it that size anyway and finishing out with it. And it just took me on this path where I could, I just, okay, so the burst of creativity there actually is related to work because my work is, I. It's called business intelligence, <laughs> and it's. I love that you chuckled when you said business <laughs> intelligence. <laughs> my work really exercises like uh, the analytical part of my mind, but at the end of the day, I have nothing to show, nothing at least physical to show, 
Yeah. Um, there's a poet, um, Alan Grossman, who talks about poetry as what we do with our tears. Um, but I'm either trying to figure out what to do with my tears or just trying to have something I did that I can look at and go, like, yeah, I, I made that. That always feels nice to me. Mm-hmm. Look, I made a hat. Where there yeah. never was a hat. There never was a hat, yeah. yeah. I love your dome. I've been to your house and I've sat in the dome. But right now the dome is just the bamboo, yeah? You haven't um, covered it. You haven't covered it with any kind of, I don't know, animal hide. I don't, I don't know what, what the next step would be. <laughs> uh, well, what I'm trying to figure out. Or if there is a next step, is the dome complete? Yeah, that that is a good question because it's it's in a phase now. It's existed long enough that I ha- I've gotten to think about well, how do I how do I maintain it and yeah. like or do I want to? Because a lot of times I think there's beauty in decay. Everything reaches a point. I think it's it's a thing I love about origami too. Like eventually you'll like step on it or you'll crush it on accident or it's just yeah. paper. Yeah. Um, but I have this summer been. Uh, maintaining the dome (laughs) so i'm not ready for it to go yet yeah um and what i what i want actually so the covering is my dream is that it's an it's a growing it's a place for plants Uh, so there's a grapevine on one side of it that's actually done it's been more successful than i thought it would be because that area is shady and the winter freeze just right in that specific spot in the yard is harder um and it's actually one of my kids grapevines Uh, but i have this summer been uh maintaining the dome (laughs) so i'm not ready for it to go yet yeah um and what i i've been trying to get so morning glories have done well on it the idea is i'd like to figure out how in in our kind of brief growing season, I can get something that covers it with uh, life. And it, I've particularly enjoyed the hummingbirds that mm-hmm. come by, or any birds. Birds are like, I think it's cool that they are dinosaurs, like they've been around on Earth forever. Yeah. So if they want to hang out in something I made, then it's like, it, for some reason, especially if I'm out at night laying in it looking up, it's got enough like weirdness to it and ancientness to it that I feel like whatever whatever else is out there I'm summoning it mm. that it's some kind of some kind of ast- astronomic yeah <laughs> signal yeah. <laughs> of <laughs> kill me first or <laughs> <laughs> help or something. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I made a hat. Well, there never was a hat. Part of creativity or making things for me that's become a challenge is that the audience has been such a huge factor and still is. It's like if I get an idea for a script or a story or whatever, I immediately think, will they like it? Who's going to come? I guess my question is, have you had any reactions to the dome? 
Have you had, have you gotten feedback? Have you gotten, <laughs> have you gotten any reviews? That's my fucking question. <laughs> Who has reviewed your dome? What is its uh, Rotten Tomatoes score? Part of the idea of the dome that I liked was I, I actually thought it was going to have painful temporariness because, and what I mean by painful temporariness, like I thought it was going to die quick because we have an aggressive homeowners association that like when I've done, I don't know, I guess it's weird things like I, when I grew corn in my backyard, mm-hmm. uh, we have tiny backyards. It's weird to grow corn in your backyard in this neighborhood. I got letters from the HOA of like, I needed to remove my weeds. And then I got to write a delightful letter back explaining what corn is. <laughs> and Which so I was quite sure when I was making the dome that I would get a letter from the HOA very quickly. Yeah. And then I, I that was part of what made me want to do it. It was all of my life coming together, mm. right? I've spent tens of thousands of hours doing origami actually. Um, and then I did all of this study of architecture and and then all this work figuring out bamboo and how to like bind it. And there was something beautiful to me about the idea that the HOA was just going to make me take it down. And that, that would be all it was for was that mm. it was now just something else that I that I did. Mm. But they they left it. So that's some kind of review. I've never heard from them. Um, <laughs> my neighbors across the street right away were like this is amazing and beautiful and i've um, i've had a lot of people just walking by um who will a- ask about like where did you get this and but my my favorite was some it was a mom walking by with her kids and the kids were like staring at it mm-hmm. and um the mom was like don't stare and i was like oh no no it's okay and, <laughs> so I, and then i moved out of it and i was like do y'all want to go inside of it mm-hmm. and then the it was like three little kids running around and the mom really worried about would it break which she had no idea like how much uh like i would i would feel sad if it broke and also that way of it breaking is beautiful right oh cool so like she thought i was being nice but i was like no like do like whatever you think i just don't get hurt i don't want you i don't want you to get hurt uh, <laughs> yeah enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> audience was a religious thing for me and in some the first level is i feel like i was used in the religion mm-hmm. um because i was a child and cute and was a good like messenger or uh it was inspiring i think to some people and then the second thing is i feel culpable in whatever ways I contributed to people participating in a system, it would have been better for them just to get out of. So my creative impetus after that has always been like, I'm afraid of, I, I like, or I don't want, I don't want that. I don't want an audience. So when I have had an audience or when I have uh, written things, there's only, a f- there's only a few people ever in my audience. And, uh, and it's usually just you. um that's actually it's amazing that i was about to transition precisely into what you uh what you were talking about because we went to we went to an unnamed small conservative christian college you you studied your major was um 
Was your major Bible? Bible, yeah. I was a Bible I just, major. I just watched. I just. I just watched Barbie, and uh, that reminds me of Beach. That Ken just does Beach. So you were just your your uh, your Bible Ken or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you do Bible. <laughs> I Bible. I Bible. <laughs> Hi, I'd like a job Bibling. As far as your Bible training goes, um, I was curious about how creativity was um, addressed or if or whatever when it comes to that training was. It's a question that comes from a really hopeful place. And maybe you, well, you, you had good experience with very creative um ministers and in, in terms of who was who was writing sermons that that people were more uh, enchanted by um i was not um on the religious training side it is very anti-creative it was all about control about like mastery of a text and confining a confining creativity to what has already been defined in the text and blasting anything not in the text. So it's just this extreme control. It was the music side that I was involved with in like worship leading and I always loved the music from the point I was a kid. Like I yeah probably from before I was walking, I loved the music. That whole songs of the church hymnal, I've at one point I had every song down, like memorized. Every, so if someone said they wanted that song, I loved doing that planning. I thought about the flow. All of that was creative. In my training, there was, there was one very creative person who the part that was critical to me was that Andre believed that a core function of religion is to help people grieve. It's to be able to look at our loss and enable people to cry. And if we can't be sad at church, then when when do we get to be sad? That's I I still think that's at the core of anything I'm getting obsessed with is that I'm grieving and I often just don't know what but it's just how I'm doing. I just assume it's there. Um, and I don't often have the will or I used to think I really needed to dive deep down and now I'm not sure what I need to do and I try not to care. I'm just gonna do what I do. Uh -huh. Wow. One of my favorite uh, memories I have from Bible is, um, uh, were, were you in a class where you were assigned to um, write a, a sermon for a funeral? It's one of my favorites too. Oh my God. I yeah, we got to write eulogies. So you wrote a eulogy for me, right? <laughs> yeah. I was so honored. Oh my God. <laughs> Do you, but I don't remember anything specific from the eulogy. Do you remember like in those, especially the, especially the eulogies, were those present? So did you have to stand in front of the class and present? <laughs> we did. Yeah, we had to. I we had oh to, my god, 
So it's just eulogy after eulogy after eulogy for people who aren't dead. Or or was was it for actual dead people too? Oh, no, no, yeah. Everyone else was for like their grandfather, like oh, someone. Oh my god. I thought the assignment was to eulogize someone who wasn't dead yet. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very creative. <laughs> it, it was also like I felt like I I was I had part of me that was afraid of like I'm probably bringing some like curse upon us all. Yeah. But no, it was like they were presenting standard eulogies. Um I was the only one actually using the word eulogy, I think, too. Ever we're it was celebration of life. Right. I think I did your eulogy before there was a particular funeral that happened while while at ACU mm-hmm. where a couple students and this happens every few years um, a couple students died in a car wreck uh, I think they were actually at the high school feeding into ACU <laughs> I say feeding in like yeah, it's kind of true <laughs> um, and so they were just like 16, 17 they were and it was a the funeral was a celebration of life and and they were talking about how we, this should really be a happy occasion and i was already i think when i look at it i can go like in my life i was never a christian um i can see those threads all the way as far back as i can look now but at that point in particular I was like i'm definitely if we can't feel sad at kids dying in a car wreck what relevance and and by we there i was thinking too of like well as a person training to be a minister can can you not acknowledge what everyone feels and the answer is you absolutely can you're a better minister when you can and that was a huge failure to be a relevant church for everyone there i didn't i didn't even know those kids and i was upset by that Mm-hmm. Um, but knew like there's nothing for me at church to help me with someone just just a little bit younger than me at the time dying in a car wreck testing this machine to see if I still care if it was just a dream or if you were really there then I hear a little something like a home like a buzzing with your do you remember, like, in that in the classroom where the eulogies were presented, did did people applaud after? <laughs> no. Oh, see, I, that no. would that would that would kill me. I would die <laughs> if I didn't get that feedback. <laughs> I mean, it, it got graded. Um, <laughs> it was in his grading too. He would be like, he just loved everyone. Um, so his feedback was worthless. Yeah, it, it, so I, I do remember feedback he gave me afterward. So he, he said, I'm the next C.S. Lewis, like, from, from my eulogy for you. Like, Whoa. Well, no, I'm not. But, no pressure. And I don't know if that's good or bad, actually. Yeah, right. So you, you work in data analysis. 
I feel like I see, I feel like I hear creativity referenced quite a bit. So what's your job? Do they ever talk about creativity? So there's a certain kind of creativity that I talk with my team a lot about. And it's, there's, because we're in a, we're in a, it's, it's a kind of software programming. Mm -hmm. And there's ways of writing your code that maybe you're genius. Like, cool, you just did something like none of us did before at work, at least. So um, that's amazing. But there's the problem of none of the rest of us can read it. And the way you went about it, like, you're stuck with this forever. Like, if what you want to do in your job is move on to something new, if you're a person who likes doing the leading edge and the new stuff, then you have to be able to do what you do in a way that you can give it to other people and move on. The, that's the part I lean on at work with our, especially with our programming is it, it has to be, and this isn't me, this is a strong, it's a strong theme in programming and literature about how to program and how to work with teams is that you have, the, the programming is not for the computer, it's for other humans and they have to be able to read it and understand it. Otherwise, it just can't go anywhere. Um, and there's, so there's a genius in um, being able to communicate and work with others that does require a, that other kind of creativity, not just the like, hey, I'm super smart and figured out how to do something new, but also how to pass it on. This machine comes alive Every time I pick it up This machine will never leave it will never give me up This machine sings to me When I'm sitting by myself And when we sing together I don't ever what's, what's interesting about Dylan Thomas's last burst? So Dylan Thomas And I, I, I'm, I'm just a fan um, mm -hmm. he was writing poetry, but then his, you know, in the days leading up to his death, he died when he was, I think, 38. He had started going on, um, tours of the U S where he would just go around reading his poetry and he was starting a radio show. So he was reading on radio. Um, one of his last works was actually a full radio show, um, that got made his poetry he he is he's obsessed with with dying with death and dying mm -hmm. and with like to me he's he's a poetic minister but um and a prophet and he i'm glad i'm glad that your dad as a preacher he clearly saw that work as the work of a prophet and of a minister not only of a poet um, but part of part of what was making Dylan Thomas popular was the new media it was it was having a radio reach and it was having and his what I don't of course I didn't know him personally it sounds like personally he was he was really self-destructive mm -hmm. um, like his his wife, um, I think, viewed her role as like just protecting him 
from himself, which I think just must, that's, you know, that's not going to make for a happy marriage. And, and it wasn't as best I could tell. Um, they would fight a lot. And then when he's reading his poetry, he'd walk in, he'd often be like stumbling and swaying around, you know, messed up on one thing or the other. And then he'd start to read and he had this amazing, like amazing, um, like preacher voice. You can hear the recordings of him. And death shall have no dominion. Dead men naked, they shall be one with the man in the wind and the west moon. When their bones are picked clean and the clean bones gone, they shall have stars at elbow and foot. Though they go mad, they shall be sane. Though they sink through the sea, they shall rise again. Though lovers be lost, love shall not, and death shall have no dominion. So you'd have basically a crazy man walk in the room and then start speaking in an ama- this very tonally pleasing voice and in amazing words, which is what every, everyone who has a dream of being a preacher would, in my mind, want to be Dylan Thomas. He was in, apparently it was already late. He, he was in New York on one of these tours. He was now with a, a companion, is what most things say about, it. He and his wife eventually got divorced, and then because he, he was womanizing on these tours, and but late at night he got this idea he he wanted to go out, uh, so he went he went to a bar in New York and started drinking whiskey, and that's that's when he had his uh, famous last words that were in front of people in the bar, which were uh, along the lines of. Um, I've had 18 straight whiskeys. I think that's the record. Uh, he felt quite bad after that, so they went to the hospital. And then at the hospital, they gave him morphine, which I, I didn't. I don't know if morphine was ever viewed as a way that you treat an alcohol overdose. He was also. It may have been related to other stuff. They, like he, he had been coughing a lot. He had pneumonia. But the morphine threw him into a coma that he didn't come out of. Wow. And then the woman he was with said his last words were, um, I see a lot of pink and white mice. Um, I see a lot Although of you don't mice. find the pink and white mice one. I, I saw that in a documentary, not... I can't find it on the internet, so. Wow. I apologize for any factual things that are incorrect. I'm I'm just a fanboy, and yeah. um, so he died at 38. From. I mean, 18. I'm gonna assume those are 18 shots of whiskey. Uh, depending on the speed. I don't know. I, I, it's not a good idea, but I feel like people have done that. Yeah. Um. Probably someone has, other people have died from from that, but I think more, more it's like, well, if he was sick, he was sick, and then the, the morphine is just not fathomable to me. Yeah, I don't. So he shouldn't have died. Right. I think if, oh, the other reason I throw in, like, 
he presented as a crazy person. Like when he went to meet Charlie Chaplin, he the first thing he did when he got into Charlie Chaplin's house was like he he just passed out on the floor and they took him back to his hotel room and he came and had dinner a couple days later with Charlie Chaplin. So he had this reputation of just being and not not just reputation. Like he was he was off the rails. Um, so I kind of think too, like if a doctor, if he had a different reputation as being like not, I don't know, mentally ill or, mm-hmm. uh, flirting with death too hard anyway, maybe that would have influenced the doctor's choice there to not, you know, around giving him morphine. Wow. So my dad was a a Church of Christ preacher living in a small Alabama town performing Dylan Tom performing as Dylan Thomas like at the Renaissance Festival or something. <laughs> wherever is, they would let you read wherever, yeah, wherever <laughs> I it was some kind of like whatever. Um and yeah, which it it really is a uh, yeah. My dad is a fascinating combination of things. <laughs> um, like, yeah, do not go gentle into that good night is like if I at various points I've started this project of like I like the idea of a Bible. I like Bible. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, like, um, you like the concept of Bible. Yeah. I, I like the idea that there's words that are so important. I, it's always got to start, I guess, important to one person, and then they become important to in a whole community. And they're like, we got to preserve this. These are important words. Yeah. Um, and actually reading the thing people call the Bible through that lens I'm able to enjoy it. Um, sometimes I can't figure out why they thought those words were important. They aren't important to me now. I don't understand why they're important to anyone. I think they're sometimes they're important to forget. And I think that's also true of a of Bible. Like so. Um, but I've thought about if I put together my Bible. If I were if I were the one going, these words are really important to me, and I'd like you to know them. And, like, as a community, I think they're important. If I had the power, I'd have us preserve them. Like, I'd have our best scholars, the only ones who know how to write, and we'd use our most expensive stuff to write on and make sure these words last. Because um, words, are, words are magic and power. And... Uh, Certainly, uh, certainly, that poem would be in my Bible. Mm-hmm. And then I would just try to get in very clear instructions too, like, "Hey, at no point should anyone try to live their life. Just like, just read it. Yeah. Like, if you have memory, try to devote to memory." Um, But do not go gentle into that good night. <laughs> Amen. All right, Paul. Well, you know I love you. 
And thank you so much for uh, joining me doing this. And I hope you'll join me again. Maybe we can talk to some other people. Are you going to do anything creative today? Uh, probably so. I, I, yeah, I just never frame it up that way. I just, I know. I, I, love, I love, I've always loved what I've always loved about you is that you are kind of, you seem to be constantly creative. Um, and, and it's so funny to me that we became roommates and uh, you ended up living with three theater majors. I, I think I think what I want to say is I've always what I've always really found inspiring about you is you you create things and make art and words and everything, um, but that you're not doing it for an outcome or a or, or an outcome that you know of, uh, I, th I find that really inspiring. So, thank you. Thank you for doing yeah. this. And I love you as well. Yeah. Well. And I guess, I guess now the podcast is over. <laughs> and it can, the, and, it, uh... and it can begin its decay. It can begin its decay. <laughs> This machine We'd is testing me. Do you have a song for it? See if I'm around. It needs my open heart for it to make a sound. Basically, we are a team, if you know what I mean. Cause it's only a machine, and I'm just a broken dream without your love.